It's great to be here with you guys. Uh, like Lance mentioned, I'm on dad duty this weekend. Uh, we have a six-year-old, five-year-old, and two-year-old, and then my wife is pregnant with our fourth, uh, due in May. And when she's out of town, let's just say I'm happy when she gets back. We have fun, but then it's like bring in the backup, you know. Um, I'll just be very brief in sharing my testimony, and I just actually just hone in on one key moment for me, hoping that it could be uh, just a good reminder for some of us, maybe uh, just an encouragement for some of us, and then I'll save most of my comments for just a moment. We're going to talk about um, trusting God, yielding to God, following the Lord in wilderness seasons of life. And I'm guessing that some of us probably feel like uh, there's something in our life that can help us relate to being in a wilderness season. So we'll talk about that in a moment. But um, I think for me, uh, you know, I, I'm really blessed in that I grew up in a, a great family. No family is perfect. Every family has imperfections, but I'm really grateful. Um, my parents are both uh, some of the godliest people I know, and I'm, I'm mindful of that. I feel that deep within, that sense of gratitude um, and just having had, you know, someone I was talking with, Russ, I think earlier, who knew my grandfather, Lance mentioned his ministry. He's another great hero of mine. Uh, he's with the Lord now. Um, but I have lots of memories of him. And just, see, I have memories of walking into the living room and seeing him on his knees in prayer. And the impact that that had on me as a little boy was um, just very, just something I treasure. Um, because to have a model, you know, it's one thing to read a biography of someone and you can get benefit in that way. But when you've seen someone, when you're out at the restaurant and they strike up a conversation with the waiter and end up getting to the point of saying, you know, leading them to Christ and you're there eight years old watching it happen. There's nothing, uh, there's no words to express the gratitude you have for that. So I, I always had a sense of the Lord as very, as a real dynamic of life. I knew that God was out there. When I was in fourth grade, I I went to public schools growing up. I didn't have any Christian friends, and I very much struggled. I I had said a prayer to receive Christ at a very young age, but I very much struggled to have any sort of actual functional relationship with Christ in those young years. And my family was attending a a conference in Indiana. I grew up in the Chicago suburbs. And I just remember... um, uh, wasn't even paying that close of attention, actually, during the address. But at the very end of it, the speaker gave a very basic and clear presentation of the gospel. Um, He talked about how Jesus has come into our world and lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we deserved to die, and that as a substitute for us on our behalf, he's made a way for us to be reconciled to God and to go from one state to another, you know, from a state of being alienated from the creator God that we were made to worship, made to walk with, made to walk through life with, into, like we were just singing about when those lyrics say, my chains fell off, my heart was free, into the, some of you know that feeling of what it feels like when you, that, you know, when you first have Christ come into your life, that feeling of freedom and joy and cleansing, knowing your sins, 100% knowing your sins have been washed away, whiter than snow. There's no feeling quite like that. And I remember just feeling a pressure, not a bad pressure, a good pressure, a loving pressure upon me. And I, the word I would use to describe that is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And it was so powerful that I just gave in. <laughs> I said, okay, Lord. And I went down and I knelt and I gave my life to Christ. still struggled a lot, actually, during those years with knowing how to walk through being a Christian in a context where you don't have a lot of encouragement and support 
And then over the years, the Lord has continued to um, develop and deepen my faith in him. I think there's been probably five or six key moments in my life when in perplexity or confusion or depression or discouragement, not knowing what else to do, I've prayed a very simple prayer, Jesus, save me. And that's the best, wisest thing I've ever done in my life <laughs> And uh, because he answers that prayer. And I remember specifically one time in college wrestling through doubts, um, not knowing... I don't have an answer for this. I have this objection, this question, and I'm not sure what the answer is. And prayer, that simple prayer, was the way that I worked through that as well. Um, So that's a prayer that I return to. I think it's a prayer to pray as a Christian, uh, not just when you're coming to Christ. So um, we're going to sing one more song, and then I'm going to say a few more remarks, so I'm going to be very brief right now. I I guess I would just draw my comments to a close like this by just kind of posing this question for us. Uh, that feeling of going from the darkness to the light, you know, in this next song we're going to sing, I once was lost in darkest night. All these lyrics of these songs are so helpful to remind us of what Christ has done for our souls. The transition from darkness to light, from bondage to freedom, from slavery and fear to the confidence of sonship. Uh, No condemnation, now I dread. The certainty of that. Um... That's something that some of us may have never experienced. And the simple way to experience that is, kind of like I was saying, I just gave in, is just at the inmost level of your heart, yielding to the Lord God and accepting the grace that he's offered us in Jesus. And um, I find it's helpful for me, maybe I'm the only one, but regularly throughout my life as a Christian to come back to that same heart posture of experiencing God's grace, asking him for his grace, and then stepping into the freedom and the the cleansing and the confidence of that. You know, the scriptures speak about Jesus not only as the one who atones for our sin, but as our intercessor, the one who continues, like Hebrews 7.25 says, he always lives to make intercession for us. He's the one who's pleading on our behalf to the Father, and so we experience his grace afresh over and over and over again in our lives. And so... I don't know, maybe some of us have come in this morning and just need that uh, fresh experience of his love and his grace. Um, So I'd like to just pray and ask the Lord to um, speak to us this morning through everything that happens through the next song and then my comments in a few moments. And just ask the Lord to bless you and encourage you. So just pray with me. Father, we're so grateful to be here this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that the grace that you give us is generous and continual You don't just send us off on a journey and say, okay, I'll see you on the other side. But as we walk throughout our lives in this world, whatever we may go through, you are an ever-present help in trouble, and you continually wash us clean, wash our sins whiter than snow as we come to you and experience your grace. I don't know where each of us may be this morning, but I'm guessing many of us just need that fresh encounter of your grace and your goodness in our lives. So I pray for each of my friends that you'd minister to them this morning and remind us of the great love that you have showed us in Christ and for any of us who need to experience that for the first time. May we feel the touch of your Holy Spirit uh, drawing us to yourself and may we respond to that this morning, Lord. Be honored by this time that we have. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me. It's okay if you don't, because I'm going to be reading through these verses, so don't, no problem if that's the case. But if you do have a Bible and want to turn with me, we're going to be in 1 Kings 17 for a few moments together. 
while we kind of get ready, I just want to express, again, my gratitude to be here, and especially my gratitude for my brother, Lance, over here. Um, he's, he's a, you know, every now and again, you meet someone, and within the first 30 minutes of talking to him, you just kind of get a feeling of, this is a good guy. <laughs> you know you know what I mean? That's kind of how I feel about this brother. So it's, you guys are an encouragement to me and my ministry out in Ojai. So I'm just so grateful to be able to connect a little bit more this morning. Um, I'm going to be sharing about following the Lord in wilderness seasons of life. You could define a wilderness season. Maybe that already communicates just with the word wilderness. But basically, anytime you're you're waiting upon the Lord and it's difficult. And I expect that that's most of the Christian life in some basic ways. But every now and again, the Lord takes us through those special wilderness seasons where we're waiting upon him in a more profound or more deep way. Uh, I mentioned a moment ago my grandfather... And uh, I uh, didn't plan on talking about him so much this morning, but uh, here he comes up again. But um, I was talking to my dad once about his ministry in Pasadena, and I only ever had the most positive uh, associations with his ministry there. Uh, But I discovered, actually, that he kind of had two different seasons in his ministry there. And I was just asking... My dad, you know, how, how, what was it like, you know, being there? And my dad said, well, um, you know, for a while, uh, I didn't know if he was going to make it. And I said, what? Didn't know if he was going to make it? What do you mean? What are you talking about? And my dad shared the story with me of how difficult the initial season of his ministry there was and some of the challenges that he had to walk through. And he was there for 20 years, and my dad put it as strong as this, that it was about two 10-year different ministries one of laying foundations and waiting it felt like that and another of a lot more reaping of of the fruit of those foundations and um i was going through a difficult time in my own ministry at the time our church was going through shockwaves about five years ago or so and this is a different church than the one i'm at now and uh I, I was so encouraged by that, and it, it, it suddenly dawned on me how common of an experience that is for a pastor, but I actually think for, for every Christian as well, where so much of the Christian life has this gap between faith and sight, and we're walking and we're waiting, and, we're, and we have to have courage and toughness to our faith to see where the Lord is going to take something because we don't see it in the moment. And there's wilderness seasons that we walk through. I think that's a a huge dynamic of life sometimes. For example, just some ways we see that. One would be parenting. I mean, I can speak to that one with authority right now, okay? My wife's out of town and I got the kids. Um, It's uh, it's a lot of patience involved in in parenting, as some of you know who are on the other side of that now, um, where you're pouring efforts into something while you're not yet seeing the results or the fruit of that. Another would be in your work setting, where so many times, um, you know, your job is not consistently easy or obvious what you're supposed to be doing, and there's wilderness seasons in terms of being faithful to Christ in your work setting or in another relationship or family setting. Sometimes marriage goes through seasons where you're having to be faithful while you're waiting upon the Lord. And the story that I'm just speaking to you guys from my heart this morning, the story that has encouraged me more than any other in all of Scripture, for being faithful to the Lord in wilderness seasons, is 1 Kings chapter 17. 
I have gone to this text over and over and over. Many times in Sierra Madre, about to head out the door down to the church, the last thing my wife would say is, look for ravens. I'll explain what that means in a minute. Or she'd say, remember, the jug and the jar won't run out today. And these images for God's provision and care in our lives in the midst of the wilderness have become so precious to me, they're like ingrained into my soul. And I just want to share with you a little bit about how this story has impacted me. And it's, to me, this classic example of this dynamic of the, the seasonal nature of the Christian life, the, the dynamics of being faithful in wilderness seasons. Because Elijah the prophet has about as modest a ministry as you can possibly imagine in 1 Kings 17. And then in 1 Kings 18, he has about as dynamic and powerful a ministry as you can imagine. In the one chapter, first he's sent off because there's a drought going on and King Ahab is leading the nation into idolatry. And so there's a a judgment that God is giving in the form of a drought. So Elijah has to be protected, so he's sent off. And if you remember this in verses 1 through 6 of 1 Kings 17, he's sent off way out east to the Kareth Brook, which is way out in an uninhabitable region out in the desert. Think if you go to like San Diego and then drive two hours east, something like that, to give you a sense of what the Kareth Brook was like. And ravens come every day and bring him food. And then after a while, the brook dries up. And so God sends him way up north up to Zarephath, which is the heart of the Baal worship that is infecting God's people at this time. And he just lives with two people way outside of Israel, a Gentile widow and her son, who are the, this is sort of the most, these are way on the outskirts. These are some of the marginalized and least important people in society at that time. But then you get to 1 Kings 18. He calls down fire from heaven. He single-handedly sparks a revival. He kills off all the false prophets. There's this public vindication. It's as dynamic as you can possibly imagine. And the difference that gets you from, so if you could compare these two ministries, one would be like, you know, you're out there in rural Wyoming and you're you're ministering to two people. Um, and then the other is you're in Manhattan and there's global revival through your ministry. Okay. That gives you a sense from 1 Kings 17 to 1 Kings 18. That's a little bit of what it's like. Now, what has helped me so much about these stories is this, from the one to the other is not a matter of faithfulness versus unfaithfulness. It's not a matter of skill versus lack of skill. Elijah is just as obedient to the Lord in 1 Kings 17 as he is in 1 Kings 18. What makes the difference is nothing to do with him, but rather to do with the seasonal nature of life, following Jesus and of ministry. It has to do with being faithful in the wilderness seasons. And the question that haunts me in a good way throughout my ministry and throughout following Jesus in the midst of wilderness seasons is, um, what if Elijah had given up? Surely, as my dad shared with me, my granddad was tempted to do. He was. That's the truth. And as we all will be at times in our lives, we're testing points. Elijah surely was tempted to, to give up. And what if he had not made it through that wilderness season? He never would have made it to 1 Kings 18. He never would have fulfilled the calling that God had placed upon his life. And that really resonates with me and helps me say, okay, Lord, 
I want to be faithful to you in the ups and downs of life. I want to be faithful to you even when I'm out there waiting and it feels like I'm just out there by the Kareth Brook waiting upon your timing in a wilderness season of life. I want to be the kind of man who is rock solid, uh, devoted to you in the deepest places of my heart. And that that happens whether you're in a First Kings 18 season of dynamic abundance or whether you're in a First Kings 17 season of hanging on, <laughs> as, as we'll see, it would have been difficult. So here's the game plan just very briefly this morning. I want to show you and think with you about three ways that God was helping Elijah in First Kings 17. And as we think about that, that's going to help us think about how God is at work in our lives in the midst of wilderness seasons. The three things are he's protecting Elijah, he's providing for Elijah, and he's preparing Elijah. And I didn't plan on, I don't usually have three Ps like that, but hey, if it works, you've got to go with it, okay? He's first of all protecting Elijah. The whole passage here sets up, if you've got your Bible, you can look with me at verse 1. Elijah goes to Ahab, and listen to how bold and grandiose his words are to begin with. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And as I mentioned, the bigger backdrop here is Ahab is leading the nation into idolatry, worshiping Baal, who's thought to be the storm god. And so God is sending judgment in the form of a drought to show who really controls the weather. And that's the God of Israel, the true God. That's the backdrop for all of this. But Elijah comes off pretty well right here. He's like, before whom I stand, he's associated with the Lord. In effect, what he's saying to Ahab in a culture in which uh, everything depends upon the farming. So if you control the weather, you control the economy. He's saying, Ahab, you're not really in charge. I'm, I'm really in charge. And it always strikes me to think of the humiliating transition from this verse to verse 2, where it says, and the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself. Note those words, hide yourself. That's the wilderness season. By the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. East of the Jordan, again, being the desert. So it goes like this. Elijah's saying, it won't rain except by my word. And then God says, okay, here's my word for you, Elijah. Go off to, go, go hide. Go be a complete nobody. Unknown, out there in the middle of nowhere. You control, and this is the weird combination. On the one hand, you control the highest rain clouds in the sky. On the other hand, when you get thirsty, you have to stoop down and drink from this brook. Now, when I was a little kid, I used to think, oh, this would be so cool to go and have ravens feed you. You know, I'd love to have that. You don't have to cook. You just, oh, there's the food. It comes, you know, and uh, supernatural delivery of of food every day. Um, But as I have thought about this story, it has occurred to me that this would have been incredibly difficult if you do a Google search and type in Elijah Ravens to Google Images, artists love this story. There's lots of paintings. Most of them are pretty cheesy. Uh, you have Elijah with, you know, bulging biceps and uh, he's like petting a bunch of farm animals and it's like, I don't know if that's really what it felt like. But a, a couple of these images are more accurate. Uh, you probably can't see this one. This is my favorite one. It's a 19th century French painting of Elijah and the ravens, and if you can see it at all, sorry, it's not good resolution. You just have this sense of that's what a wilderness season feels like. He is on his knees, and he's lunging, reaching forward for the bread that the raven 
Another one of my favorite ones, which you definitely won't be able to see Elijah in, but he's in the same dynamic. That's a little bit more of what east of the Jordan looks like. It's a wilderness season, and Elijah is down here on the bottom, same thing, on his knees, lunging forward to receive what the ravens bring. Now, I've got one more picture I'll show you at the end. But the point is, I think getting food from ravens every day, on the one hand, would be kind of cool. On the other hand, I think this would have been very difficult for Elijah. Here's this mighty prophet who controls all the weather, and yet he's in total obscurity. Verse 3, hide yourself. Don't you think that'd be hard? I, was, I thought of three main reasons. Number one, it'd be very monotonous. I mean, he has got the same food every day. You know how you get tired of something, especially when your wife's out of town and you're eating, re- <laughs> you're, you're just putting it in the microwave again, you know? Uh, after two or three times, you get a little tired of eating the same food. Well, he had the same food every single day, all of his meals, same scenery. I even thought about this. He can't walk that far because he's got to stay by his water source. So he's just sitting there. I mean, no, there's no newspaper. He doesn't know what's happening in the broader world. I'm just picturing him after like four days, and it's felt like 40, and he's sitting on a log. And you know in Castaway, the movie with Tom Hanks, at the end of the movie, the way he looks, bushy beard, tan, that's how I picture Elijah after like a week out there in, by the Kareth Brook. All alone, it's monotonous. Second of all, it's lonely. Remember how when God makes Adam, he says it's not good for man to be alone? Well, <laughs> Elijah is all alone, very lonely. He has no idea what's happening, and it's unproductive for, for a go-getter type A like Elijah. He seems to have a pretty strong personality. He's not afraid to challenge kings. He's not afraid to stand up alone to the 450 false prophets one chapter later. But here he's just got to wait, and he's doing nothing. And I have to say that I think that um, if you've ever been through a season like that, where you're waiting upon the Lord, you can probably identify with this feeling. You know what that feels like, the scorching pain of waiting upon the Lord when you're in a situation. You want to get out of the situation, but you can't. And therefore, you have to just wait upon God. And that's hard. Richard Wormbrand was a pastor in communist Russia. He spent 14 years in prison. He was tortured for his faith in Christ. He eventually came back to the United States and founded a ministry called Voice of the Martyrs, and he published over 18 books, the most famous of which was simply tortured for Christ. Of all the things that he went through, the one that grips me the most is a time of solitary confinement, where for three years his captors put him in a cell, 12 feet underground, no lights, no windows, totally dark, and totally silent. The guards would wear rubber soles so that he couldn't hear even them. It's a form of torture to just utter isolation. And I always think about him because, again, this man of God, you look at and you think, Lord, help me to be just a little bit like that. But um, he talked, you can go on YouTube, type in Richard Wormbrand, W-U-R-M brand, um, and, and listen to his testimony. There's one clip, I, I tried to find it, I couldn't find it, but I watched it years ago and it just gripped me, where he's talking and he says, um, when I think about those times, I remember the intimacy of Christ. He says, I couldn't even remember the Lord's prayer because I was so confused. But all I would pray is, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. And he says, um, when I remember that time, I, he, he talked about the bridegroom and giving kisses to the bride. He used this poignant imagery for his intimacy and his fellowship with Christ in that terrible time. And he said, I remember it as a glorious time of feasting upon the presence of Christ. Oh, 
I'll never forget hearing that and thinking, boy, that's, how do you do that? You know, and it, it helps me remember God is in the wilderness with Elijah here. And he's in our wilderness seasons too. He's with you in those times where he calls you to be faithful in the midst of the darkness. He's with you. He's taking care of you. One of the ways you see that is his protection. In chapter 18, verse 10, when Elijah finally gets out, we discover that Ahab has sent spies everywhere to hunt down and kill Elijah. Now, what does that tell us? That the very obscurity that it looked like was just God's abandonment of Elijah, probably felt like that, like, Lord, where'd you go? Was God's strategy to protect him so that he would be safe, not found by the spies and killed by Ahab. And that reminds me that God is watching over us even when we can't see that he's doing so, and he's protecting and caring for us in those wilderness places of our lives. When I don't feel that in my heart, what I need to do is remember the cross and what God has been willing to do on my behalf. He's been willing, as these wonderful songs have reminded us this morning, to send his only son to be tortured for us, to give up his son on our behalf. And when I resensitize my heart to that, and I say, whatever wilderness pain I might be in, it's nothing compared to what the son of God went through on my behalf, willingly out of love. That helps my heart be resensitized to this fact that God cares about us And he's with us in those seasons of life. If Jesus went through that, I know that he's with me in what I'm going through in my life. I know that even in ways that I can't see, just like Elijah couldn't see, he's taking care of me and he's watching over and he's protecting me. And secondly, he's providing for me. That's the main thing that I get from this passage. You've got the two different means of provision. Number one, the ravens. And although they're monotonous and kind of gross birds, by the way, ravens are scavengers. They're like, they're like big black crows. If you ever see a raven flying with food in its mouth, it would not be your thought to want to eat whatever it's, you know. But that's how God provides. But the ravens come every single day. And then he goes to the widow and the jug and the jar that are there have just a tiny bit left, but they never run out. And God provides for Elijah in the wilderness. And those are the counter testimonies to everything else where it might look to Elijah like God's abandoned me, these little means of provision are reminders that God has not abandoned him. God is taking care of him. And I think about this in my life all the time. Lord, help me to see the ravens. What are the ravens in my life right now? And it may sound a little cheesy to put it like that, but... Boy, I'll tell you, whenever I stop and think about that, I'm amazed at how long the list is that I can come up with of how God is providing for me. In the recent years, I've been doing this practice called a gratitude journal where I uh, write down things I'm grateful for. And actually, most of the time I do it, I don't write it down. I just think about it because I'm in my car driving. It's kind of how I uh, pass the time when I'm driving. And I'm always amazed at how many things I can come up with that I have in my life to be grateful for. And it's such a helpful practice because all of us have the glasses half empty and half full dynamic in our lives. You know, none of our lives are perfect, but none of our lives are, you know, as bad as they possibly could be, right? There's always a mixture of blessings and struggles in our lives. And isn't it so easy for all the focus to go to the struggles if we're not intentional to cultivate mindfulness for the blessings? 
And as I go through my car and I think about all the ways God's provided for me and all the ways I have to be, all the things I have to be grateful for, I'm amazed at how long that list can be. And I find it's helpful when we're in the midst of a wilderness season to take time to pause and think about how we see God's hand of provision in our lives, how we see him taking care of us. Sometimes it's little things. And the thing is, it's often things that are easy to overlook or even easy to despise. God often provides for us in non-glamorous ways. Ravens, you know? Like it's not a pack of bald eagles flying in for Elijah. That would be cool, right? (laughs) Or zebras or something, I don't know. It's ravens, and yet God is providing for him in that way. Have you ever, uh, I don't know if you know the name Thomas Chisholm. Uh, He lived a long life. He was born in a log cabin in 1866, the year after Abraham Lincoln was shot, and he died in 1960, one year before John F. Kennedy became president. Uh, He had health struggles all throughout his life. He had all different kinds of jobs, and he moved around a lot, and he often struggled to make ends meet because of a health challenge in his life. One day, he wrote many hymns. That's why you might have heard of his name. The most famous hymn he wrote was not uh, inspired by any specific thing that happened in his life or any specific passage in the Bible. He simply sat down at his desk one day late in his life and thought through all the ways that he'd seen God's provision in his life over the years. And the words that he was inspired to write after that practice are these. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Later on in his life, he said, My income has not been large at any time due to impaired health in the earlier years which has followed me on until now, although I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God. He has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. Have you experienced that in in your life, those of you who have put your faith in Jesus and are following him, looking back and seeing all the different ways that God has provided for you? It's really helpful to cultivate mindfulness for that because like Elijah, it's often coming in non-glamorous ways that are easy to overlook or to assume. But may we never, never presume upon God's provision. May we always have a, like him, astonishing gratefulness for the ways he cares for us. And it helps us in the midst of wilderness seasons when life is difficult to know he will take care of you. Take these images into your own struggles and into your own life. The ravens will come. The jug and the jar will not run out. God's grace will be sufficient for you each day and he will take care of you. Um, Lastly, God is also preparing Elijah. This is the good one. The other two are like, okay, that helps, but it's still hard. This one is what gets you out of bed in the morning. This one is what, oh, it enables you to maybe understand, if not replicate, Richard Wormbrand, where he's saying it was a glorious time. Because it's the case, God is not only taking care of Elijah, providing for him, protecting him, watching over him, making sure he doesn't die. But it's the case that this whole thing was part of a plan. There was a purpose to it all. And Elijah needed to go through 1 Kings 17 in order to get to 1 Kings 18. 
I do believe, when I often have read 1 Kings 18 and thought, who is this guy? How did he get the courage to stand up single-handedly to the whole nation, calling down fire from heaven? The 450 false prophets are there dancing around. He's just mocking them. I mean, who is this guy? Where did he come from, you know? And I believe with all my heart that God used this season in Elijah's life to prepare him for the calling he had upon Elijah's life. That time in the wilderness, surely you can't go through something like that without learning how to trust God. And that's something you learn through courage and faith and experience as you see his provision in your life. I'm sure that his faith and his courage were hardened like a diamond through this experience. And I believe that for us as well. In fact, I know it because it's a promise of Scripture that God is at work through the trials of our lives, preparing us, chiseling us to be more like Jesus and to be fruitful in the ways he's called us to be fruitful. I mean, if you're going through something difficult and you have no idea why it's happening, you face it a certain way. But when you're going through something difficult and you know for sure that it is working as a part of God's sovereign plan for your ultimate good so he can use you in ways for his purposes and his kingdom, it really helps you go through it with hope. I often think about Johnny Erickson Tata and uh, another one of those saints we can, at least from my my opinion, we can look to and uh, learn from and seek to follow in her footsteps of what she has learned, how she's uh, walked with the Lord. As you know, probably, uh, she was paralyzed from the neck down early in life during a swimming accident. And a lot of people in the weeks following that told her, God is going to heal you. And she believed that. And she gathered elders at her church to anoint her with oil and pray. And uh, a week went by and nothing happened. And then another week, several more, nothing still happened. And she struggled for many years wondering, you know, what about the topic of healing and all of that? And that's a complicated topic that's not really the point of going into this now so much as this, that eventually she came to an understanding in her heart uh, to be able to see that God's provision for her and care in her life was bigger than her immediate physical healing. And she talked about how God has used her terrible suffering to advance the gospel in ways she never could have dreamed through her life. She's written 48 books. She's touched millions of lives. And what she says that I often think of in the midst of wilderness seasons is God often permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And I believe that's a dynamic in our lives as well. If you've put your faith in Jesus and you're following him in your life, the things that you're going through that are difficult, wilderness seasons and places of your life, God will use those things as you walk through them, open-handed to him, looking for his care and provision, he will use those things to get you where you need to be, to make you more like Jesus, to bring fruit through your life. And he will give you joy even in the midst of it. He can give you joy amidst your suffering. It's the most incredible experience you'll ever have. To be, to be in, you have no natural reason to have joy. But God can give you joy in the midst of the wilderness. And if you don't believe that, listen to the testimony of Richard Wormbrand, who says it was a glorious time feasting upon Christ. And I've experienced so little of that myself. I'm a beginner on this. I'm just learning. But this helps me, and I hope it helps you, to be faithful in the wilderness, no matter what. 
come what may to the end, Lord, I'm going to follow you even in those tough places of my life because I know you can take care of me. You will provide for me and you are using this to prepare me for where I need to get. Now, to conclude, I'll just pause in this way. Some of us may resonate with some of these things more than others. Maybe some of us really feel the sense of we need God's protection and that really connects with us. Maybe others of us are looking at the, the, the bank account and those things, and we're saying, I really need God's provision. Um, or in some other area of, of your life, you need provision. Maybe others of us, when we go through difficult things, walking with Jesus, uh, we really need to know that he's using that to prepare us for something. Whatever may be our personal experience, and I also recognize some of us may be here, and this is a bit removed from our own personal experience, and we're thinking about it, but we haven't actually experienced Christ come into our lives. And uh, the first step of that is really what all of us want to orient our hearts towards. The way we step into an experience of Christ is through what the Bible calls faith and repentance. And that simply means in the deepest place of your heart, leaning upon Christ for your ultimate satisfaction, your salvation, and then turning away from those sins that would keep you from him. And that's, of course, where we want to get our hearts back to continually throughout our lives and where I want to shepherd all of us, my own heart as well, to this morning. So let me, to that end, leave you with this final image, final quote. There was a man named George Mueller. He was an evangelist in England in the 19th century. He was famous for founding orphanages. And when he founded them, he usually didn't ask people for money. He just prayed. And God would just, you know, God would just provide. It was amazing. And after 68 years of ministry, he never took a salary and he never went into debt. And he, he said, it taught me the art of trusting God. And uh, he gave his testimony and he was speaking to others. And he said, I want you to experience this too. And he said, I desire that you may taste the sweetness of that state of heart in which while surrounded by difficulties and necessities, i.e. a wilderness, you can yet be at peace because you know that the living God, your Father in heaven, cares for you. And because of Jesus, we know that's true. I mean, that's the ultimate. Some will say, well, how do I know that for sure? Look what God has done for us in giving us his beloved son upon the cross. If he did that for us, surely we can trust him in those wilderness places of our lives. I'll leave you with this last picture. I mentioned... uh, These other two, you probably can't see this one too well either. This is a contemporary picture. You can see maybe the ravens swooping down and uh, Elijah's there about to get the food from them. But what I love about this one is you can't see what Elijah's doing until you see his shadow. And you may not be able to see even that if you're sitting in the back. But he's praying. And I love that image. And what it does to me is I want to say, because he's just like this. Just pray in the wilderness. And what it does for me is I want to say, Lord, help me to trust you like that, even in the wilderness places and seasons of life. He's given us every reason to do so. So let me pray for us and ask that the Lord would help each of us to step more into that posture of faith this morning. Jesus, I thank you so much that you not only call us to this kind of faith in you, 
but you give us every reason to know fully that you can be trusted at that deep level because of what you went through. You went through the ultimate wilderness. You hung upon the cross facing the wrath of the Father for our sins as our substitute. If you went through that, surely we can trust you in every area of our lives. So help us, Lord, just personally, each of us to take the next step of obedience to you, whatever that may look like. Bless these friends this morning. Encourage them. And go with us as we leave from this place to go into the rest of our day. Amen.